So, I started to think about the idea of hope about two years ago. So, um, one of the groups that I'm a part of in church is a prayer group uh, for those, we pray for those who are troubled in areas of the mind, and we recently rebranded and call ourselves Peaceful Minds now. Uh, So Dave and I became involved in that group because of some of the things that our family members had gone through, so two of our sons in particular. And that group met with the NHS group, so those who worked in the NHS and supported each other, a couple of years ago. And we shared stories of good news, what God had done in that whole area of freeing people in mental health. And Jeremy, so that's our eldest son, um, shared part of his story um, and how God had helped him through really difficult times and the journey that we'd been on as a family too. So I'm going to share some of that. But also, as I started to think about it again, what... What strategies did God give us and what does that mean for us now? Um, Because it wasn't plain sailing. And some of that struggle took about 16 years when I added it up, from about the age of 7 till 22. And I was quite shocked myself when I realised that. Um, But somebody asked me a question that night when we got together. And they said, did you ever lose hope? People say that, don't they? And I stopped and thought and I felt like the answer was no but I needed to kind of get a grasp of why did I feel that and what were the points where God had dropped something in so I called my little talk this so I've crossed out the don't and we talk about losing hope so it's something that we can have and then it appears that we might not So when natural circumstances show us a different view, when it feels different in the walk of life, how can we hold on to the goodness of God that we don't yet see and yet is his nature? And why is hope something that God talks about so often in his word when you look it up, particularly in Psalms? I think it's probably because we need to keep hearing it. We need to keep finding that fresh hope that Grant was talking about. So, ah, it worked. (laughs) So this is a quote which has puzzled me and made me think. Um, Hope is the seedbed in which faith grows. So it's like a starting place, a nurturing point for something else that can grow. So are there things that I can do to prepare for cultivating and growing hope in my life? And are there things that can actually obstruct hope in my life too? So I identified a few obstructions first. Um, Natural thinking, which says, don't get your hopes up. And what I actually thought about that was, what that's really saying is, I will do what I can to preserve myself from further disappointment just by limiting the opportunity for letdown so I won't risk it anymore. I will keep myself safe. Or distraction by the facts, the circumstances, when 
what I'm going through gets bigger than what I'm hoping for. Um, there's a guy from the vineyard, um, Alan Scott, who puts it a little more strongly than that, and he says, to lose hope actually means to put aside encouragement. So I'm actually, actually consciously choosing to put aside encouragement uh, and forget what's good. So I was thinking, so if I was to put aside encouragement, that kind of leads a gap. And I know for myself, the stuff that usually fills that is not the good stuff. It's usually the worry, the doubt, the fear, those kind of things that creep in. Or the world's view. So it's not very popular to have hope. Uh, It's not sensible. There's no evidence for what you can't see. Um, There's no data. We like things that are medically proven. But the truth is that God is my protector and my provider. And that's a challenge to me today as well. So there's two pictures of hope which um, I'd like to describe to you. And the first one is um, the story of the father whose son had taken his inheritance and spent it, gone off, had a wild life, and had ended up living with the pigs because he'd got nothing left. But the picture of hope that I saw is that dad out looking on the horizon for a figure, his returning son. And I imagined, um, did he see somebody one day? It wasn't his son, but it was just somebody else. And his heart leapt. Is it? Oh, oh, it's not. And then what happened? Was it that he thought, well, it could be. That's what it will look like when he does come. It will look like that, that figure on the horizon. Or did it lead to, well, it wasn't him again. I'll go back and sit indoors. But I suspect it gave him anticipation for what it would look like. So sometimes I think about people that I'm still wanting and praying for to be part of our community. And sometimes I imagine where they would sit when they come. Um, will they be back row people? Will they sit over here? Will they be middle section people? Where, where would they feel comfortable? Where would they be? But I think it's something about that imagining and visualising what is yet to come. So in the middle of this um, fairly difficult time when Jeremy was very young... He wasn't going to school at the time. One day I had a picture drop into my head from God, which was a bit like a photograph. And it was a picture of him in a graduation gown, looking over his shoulder. And that's weird, because he wasn't even going to school at the time, and that wasn't even in my mind for something that would happen in the future. But as I look back over the years, I could think, actually, I think that was something where God dropped in a picture that gave hope for something was to come. Um, The second story is um, similar, but it's a story that Rob Parsons from Care for the Family told. So there was a mum who was really concerned for her daughter's welfare. The daughter had turned her back on God and wandered far away, and she wasn't living a safe life. And every night, this mum prayed for her daughter Before she went to bed, she turned on the porch light and left it on. 
in case her daughter came home that night. And after quite a long time, the daughter did come home. It wasn't immediate. And she said, Mum, I often used to come to the end of the street and I would look down and I would see the porch light on. And I knew that I could come home. I knew that you would welcome me, but I just didn't feel able at that time. And for me, that's another picture of that leaving the light on, that possibility of hope. So I wonder if that mum came down every morning, turned the light off and thought, that's a waste of electric. <laughs> I'll get an eco bulb or something like that. I've been doing this for years and it's not, nothing's changed. Or was it when she turned it on every night, she thought maybe it's tonight, maybe it's this week, and her heart was ready and expectant for what God could do. And I considered... If I was that son or that daughter waiting to come home, imagine there was no light on in the porch or imagine that I didn't see my dad waiting for me. How much more difficult would that be to make myself vulnerable, knock on the door and risk coming back? So we'll return to those pictures. Um, It was Kim... Blythe, who said to me that night, did you ever lose hope? And I said no. And one of the reasons I knew was because I had kept coming back to a very specific word which God had given me at that time, really difficult time, and I'd written it down. I'd write things down because then I can remember them. I can see it, and I know that that's what God said. Um... So just to fill in a little bit of background for some of you that don't know, Jem was uh, seven and he was displaying such severe symptoms of anxiety that his class teacher said to us one day, I think he might have a brain tumour. And she wasn't a medical woman. Um, (laughs) So that was quite hard at the school gate. So we had various support and assessments, but we also had a lot of specific prayer, which some of you were very much a part of supporting us in that. Um, There were a couple of years after that when things were much better, and for me, I was thinking, that's an exception. This is not for life. How can it be okay? This is, you know, something went wrong there, but we're actually all right now. So I knew that it wasn't something that was going to be there forever. But three years later, things got worse again. And during SATs time, so those of you who have kids doing SATs at the moment will know how important that is to schools. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) we were actually asked to take him out of school. Please don't bring him in. Don't let him take his SATs. And yet they had you know, high hopes that he would do quite well. So he didn't go to school for a term and a half at that time, which was very, very difficult. Um, He wasn't able to do basic tasks like reading or writing. He could, but he wasn't physically able to do it. Getting dressed, going upstairs, putting on a seatbelt, walking through a door. The anxiety had got so high for him. And it was very, very difficult for us as a family. Um, We were under pressure. But one night I went to a meeting and um, I knew, I wouldn't call myself a prophecy conductor, 
So I'm not normally the person that gets picked out when God speaks and someone brings a word. And, but that night I had a kind of churning and I felt like God would speak to me. So we're in the middle of this awful time and the guy who was visiting um, had a word of God for me that was so specific uh, and I'll read you some of it. It says, I see some angst and some pressure in your life. <laughs> um, you feel like the declarations in prayer about your family and for those that you care about, you feel like those prayers are hitting the ceiling and falling down. And you're living in a season right now where there's not a lot of fulfillment. But I hear the Lord saying that it's a sowing time and you will reap. You sow in tears, but you'll reap in joy. And what I see is that you think your prayers are hitting the ceiling and falling down. But what's actually happening is every accurate prayer you pray is penetrating every dark cloud, every ceiling, every oppressive limitation right now into the throne room of God. So I was standing there thinking, okay, wow. And the thing that fed my spirit with something, because I knew that my God saw where I was at. Um, I can't say it properly. Neil might know how to say it. But Elroy, the, the name of God that means my God sees, Elroy. Delboy, Elroy. <laughs> the God who sees me. <laughs> <laughs> one of those <laughs> that, that became real for me because the detail was so much there in Romans 8 it says hope that is seen is no hope at all so if we can see it we don't need to hope who hopes for what they already have and then the message version goes on to talk about like a joyful anticipation of something good coming and I'm imagining that's what that father was thinking when he looked out. When will it be? Not if, but when will my son come back? I've found this quote recently. So anyone that's been near Crossroads will know it very well. Um, it's not joy that makes us grateful, but it's gratitude that makes us joyful. So it's not about when all our ducks are in a row and everything's going well. Uh, but it's when we have that thankful, grateful heart that something else starts to grow in us. So I was making that link with hope and that thankfulness and gratitude, and that's a bit like preparing that seedbed so it's a good place, it's fertile, and things can grow. Um, a bit like the father looking out for his son and the son's looking out for the father, so it's like a joint expectation of something good so we kept a record of every success every part day that Jem went to school every day that he managed to do something and sometimes it was hard we needed people to help us notice those good times um, there's a lot of talk about hope in Romans particularly with Abraham who's a very old man and it says of his wife that her womb was already dead. That's quite blunt, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it says he dared to trust God and to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life and make a word 
make, make with a word, make something out of nothing. That's like our hopes when we can't see it. So when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding not to live on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he could do. So when God speaks, it changes things. And I know when I had that particular word, it shifted something in my expectation of what I could look forward to. There was one particular day, I think it was one of my lowest days at that time, so Jem had not been to school and I couldn't see that he was ever going to go back to school. And I was standing at the washing machine in our kitchen and I, wasn't, I wouldn't call it praying, but there was like a pain in my chest of something that I wanted to express. And that's all it felt like. It was just a pain and I didn't have words. And again, back to the word that God gave me that evening. Um, He says, every prayer you've prayed, some of them, you've not even prayed, you've just groaned. You just wept. It wasn't even a voice, it was just your heart and God heard it. And in God's mind there was language to it and he will bring it to pass. And I was like, that was me standing in front of the washing machine. He saw me that day, that specific moment. I I was there. He heard those groans. He heard those cries. And it says again in Romans, um, the spirit intercedes with groans, making prayers out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. So he hears the pain and the struggle. The lie is that I'm on my own when I'm like that. It's just me in my kitchen and no one can hear me. Um, And it's what I do. If I think I'm on my own, then it takes me away from the people that I need around me to connect with. And I need people who can hope with me. So the final bit of the word that I was given is that God is going to do it so good... It's going to be more than I wanted and better than I could have believed. And I'm going to stand back and give my thanks to God. And then I was encouraged to keep on praying, keep on assaulting the heavens. Well, what happened next wasn't really so good because things actually got worse. (laughs) And it was over a long, long time. But I kept coming back thinking, God is going to do it so good. God is going to do it so good. Hang on, not in an ungrateful way, but I don't think we're there yet. There's more. This is not it. This is not where we're heading for. So there were victories. Um, Having taken a term and a half out of school, just when he was getting ready to go to secondary school, he managed to go. Um, He didn't have friends because he kind of lost that year group. That was very difficult. There was bullying. Um... There were what everyone else's kids were doing, and he wasn't. He got into uni. Yay, maybe the gown's in sight. Then he tried to leave two or three times. (laughs) Because the anxiety was still there, underlying all of that thread, there was still an anxiety that limited. But I knew that something more, something good was coming Um, And I've come to realise, looking back, that the good bit is not just those victories, which were great, but actually his good is much, much bigger than what 
I can hold in my head, really. Um, on. What happens? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so what do I do to um, position myself so that the thing that I can't yet see grows? So one of the things is to keep pushing. And this is the story, um, which I'll tell briefly, from um, two kings. So there's a lady who lives with her husband... Um, and she sees the man of God, Elisha, passing by. And she says to her husband, can we make him a room so he can come and stay when he comes by? We'll put a lamp and a bed and so on. So that became the house where Elisha stayed when he came on his ministry trip, if you like. Um, and one day he thinks, what can I do to you know, show appreciation to this woman? So his servant suggests, well, she doesn't have a son and her husband's quite old. So he speaks over the woman and she has a son. But sadly, when he's a little boy, he dies. Uh, now, when they say, um, Would, you know, you're going to have this son, the thing she says is, don't deceive me. Don't get my hopes up like that. So I wonder whether she'd lost hope of ever having a son at that point. Maybe. But the thing that followed that, um, so her son had died, and it's the way that she pushed through the opposition to get back to the man of God. So she takes the child and she lays him on Elisha's bed. And to me that shows she was trying to get him as close to the man of God with her disappointment literally in her arms that she could. And then she says, right, get the donkey. I'm going to find the man of God. And her husband tried to stop her because it wasn't the day when she could talk to him. He's only available on certain times. Uh, but she said, no, I'm going. So they got the donkey and off she went. And then the servant met her and he said, no, you know, talk to me. But she pushed past him, got through to the man of God, Elisha, again. So she was very tenacious. She kept pushing through. Um, and when she saw him, she said, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I say, don't get my hopes up? So it's like she brought her real disappointment to the man of God. He sends his servant off. And then she says, I won't go home unless you come with me. The next thing he says, okay, I'll come. So she really pushed against all the... Um, you know, the facts, the, the, the things that were blockages to get God back, to, to get that, represent, that representative of God back. And the story ends well with Elisha, not in an easy way. He had to take a little while to pray for the boy, and he did actually come back to life. So I was thinking about that idea of getting back to God, taking our disappointments to him, the things that haven't worked out how we'd hoped. And the second thing is to keep reminding ourselves of what God's done, writing it down, like I said. Um, there's a verse which I really like in uh, Lamentations that says, I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the tough times. I well remember them, and my soul is cast down. And yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So when I sit and think about all the wrong bits, all the stuff that isn't yet worked out, my heart is downcast. And yet when I recall to mind what God has done, when was he faithful? When have I known someone's healing? If it's not mine, someone else's. Let me feed myself on that. Um, I was thinking of Heidi's backpack story. So as a child, God spoke to her on a number of occasions and God's word came to her. It's like she put it in her backpack and carried it on her journey with God. And then in the future, when she needed to hear that word, it reminded her and she thought, oh yes, I remember when God, God said that to me. Let me get it out. Let me reread it. Let me think on it. When have I known his provision or somebody else's? So back to those two stories. Um, What movement on the horizon can I see? What's shifting? What's changing? So I think one key is having like an alert posture to see the little changes that are happening. Um, So Jem loved reading and writing. He was quite a kid who liked to work but was not able to work and had had all that time off school. And during that summer holiday before he was to go to secondary school, when he hadn't touched any books or pens, we suddenly saw him drawing a cartoon and writing some captions. And we thought, something's shifting. Something's beginning to happen. And that was the beginning of him being able to work again. Keep the light on. Try again and again, don't give up. Keep fighting, keep assaulting the heavens. Put myself in the way of God. What are the things that I don't yet see? So hope prepares. Um, I looked up uh, how you prepare a seed bed, because I'm not really a gardener. Um, And it was quite interesting. I felt God gave me some prompts here. The first thing in preparing a seedbed where we're going to grow our hopes is to pick out any weeds, stones or debris from the surface of the bed. And for me, I felt God was saying that's the hard places, the disappointments, when it didn't happen the way I wanted. And I found for myself, if I lose hope in this area... And then I need it over here. Sometimes that informs my hope in that area. And I don't want that because it's like, well, I've got a stone here and then I'm adding another stone. And then instead of a seedbed, I'm going to end up with a rockery before long. Um, The second point is to warm the soil. And I felt that was like the soil of our hearts. So if our hearts have grown cold, um, when my mum was born, she was essentially stillborn and she was put aside in another room and a sheet was put over her and everyone was fussing around, my grandma. But my great nan went into the other room, took the baby, took her to the fire and massaged her and warmed her and she started to breathe and she lived and I wouldn't be here. (laughs) 
So that's amazing, and it made me think about in winter where there's no warmth, there's very little growth, and it feels like things are dead. But God has spoken spring over our community, uh, and that wakes us up. The next one is prepare the surface for rain. And we've been talking and we've been experiencing the Holy Spirit here. Prepare the surface so that the water doesn't run off, but it soaks in evenly. So I think that's something about us being open to the Holy Spirit to soften the ground and do his work. And finally, um, it says, take care of the seedbed. It needs extra care. It's got our planted hopes in it. Get rid of the slugs that will eat the seedlings, our hopes. Cats and other predators love freshly prepared soil. I won't go into the details of that, um, but I do know that's the case. (laughs) So net the area if you have a problem. So in other words, guard your hopes. Predators come to steal, kill, and destroy. So we're carriers of hope for other people. And where I haven't got that, I need God to make that new for me if I'm to carry that for someone else. Um, Psalm 62 says, My hope comes from him. So it's not for me to muster it up and find it. But as Grant was saying, it comes fresh every morning. So if I had it yesterday, I need it again today. I need it fresh. So... Yeah, we're carriers of hope for others. Um, So I'm going to play, or we'll play a song in a minute. And just while we're doing that, um, some areas to be asking God to speak to us. So where hope is lost, for God to come and renew that. Um, If there's debris or stones or hard places for the Holy Spirit to highlight that so that that can be removed. Warm the soil of my heart where it's grown cold or tired. And welcome the watering of the Holy Spirit. How deep are we in? How deep do we want to go? And guard our hopes from being stolen. So we're going to play a song and hope the words will be there and... That will be a time when you can consider what that means for you.